Yes, indeedy. Welcome to the Up For Life podcast. And I'm your host, B. Getz, coming to you live and direct from Oakland, California. And we welcome you back to episode four. Super, super stoked to roll another one out. Been a pretty amazing couple of weeks since you last heard from me. Want to send out huge congratulations to the first couple of Live for Live music. Mr. Kunj and Sarah Shah. What an amazing, fantastic, otherworldly experience their wedding celebration in the Crescent City was. Uh, Just an incredible event on so many levels that saw music, family, and multiple cultures coalesce in uh, what ended up being one of the more thrilling uh, events that I've been blessed to experience. So um, allow me to please give thanks uh, that my partner Alicia and I were included in this gala event, which featured an all-star band and a who's who of the jam funk music scene and uh, just a fabric of friends and familia uh, who seems to uh, interact on a regular basis uh, here, there, and everywhere across this great place, the United States of America. And uh, given the tenor of what's transpired in recent times in our culture and in our country, uh, it's ever more important for people to come together in joyous uh, celebrations of love and community, whether they be marriages or music festivals or events celebrating uh, different activities of children, and even uh, things that lean towards a religious nature. I mean, if it's bringing people together and inclusive, then I'm all for it, and I think it's good because we need all in all one all the time at this point and um, I'm just uh, very disturbed naturally by what we see going on around us yet 
I am so lucky to live and work in this music community that puts a premium on joy and uh, togetherness and compassion and inclusivity. And never was that more evident than as we stood slack-jawed and in tears while Miss Janelle Monet closed the magnificent sixth annual Swanee Halloween at the majestic Spirit of Swanee Music Park in Live Oak, Florida. Naturally, I'm still reeling. Uh, I'm levitation station. I do not have both feet firmly planted on planet Earth since that experience last weekend. I mean, I'm not really sure to where to begin when reflecting on this monumental event of seismic proportions. But I might as well start at the top with Silver Rapper and Purple Hat Productions, Michael Berg, Paul Levine, Leif Moravi, and their absolutely incredible team at Swanee Halloween. The big man, Michael A., the, amph the amphitheater stage manager, Ra, uh, Hillary Clinton, Sayer Anderson. I mean, I could go on and on. I'd spend the next 10 minutes of the pod reading off a who's who of difference makers, game changers, and movers and shakers down on the Suwannee River this time of year. And this family, uh, festival family, and its staff and its community dates back long before the six years that Halloween has been taking place, but is interwoven through festivals like Aura and Wani, and of course, the granddaddy of them all, Bear Creek. Now, I know Wani was around before Bear Creek, but Bear Creek really was the event that uh, paved the way for me in a myriad of ways. And uh, I got to thank Mr. Paul Levine for weaving so many dreams, so many years for having the vision and uh, integrity to place a premium on the fan and artist experience at his events and as such has manifested such a glorious and thrilling series be it from Bear Creek or Purple Hatter's Ball or now the mighty and fabulous Swanee Halloween. On a personal note, I really got to uh, tip my cap to both uh, Paul and Berg for allowing me to live out my own dream. Now, Paul I've known for many years, Berg uh, a few less so, but I count them both as close friends and allies in this industry and have nothing but the utmost respect and admiration for the veritable kingdoms they've built individually and collectively. And uh, they both moved mountains to bring uh, one of our favorite bands, Jamiroquai, a band from England who did not set foot in the United States for 13 long agonizing years of funk purgatory, yet 
They played a handful of shows here in 2018 on the heels of their fantastic comeback album, Automaton. And uh, the markets they touched were Coachella and San Francisco and Chicago for North Coast Festival, which is also one of Michael Berg's, Michael Berg's endeavors. Uh, they did Queens in New York City and Live Oak, Florida. So basically the biggest and most major music markets in the continental U.S. plus Hula. What a get and did it ever deliver. Um, I'll be releasing some of my uh, typical festival coverage, sort of kaleidoscopic reflections on uh, the best and the blessed of Swanee Halloween 2018. But a quick rundown. Um, I guess the biggest and baddest thing that went down for me personally was not only did Jamira Quay play, but um, I was lucky and blessed to get engaged to my partner, Alicia, during the end of the Jamira Quay set in the photo pit up front, thanks to Paul and Berg. Uh, in the company of what seemed like 100 plus of my friends from all over uh, just kind of coming together um, uh, kind of at a loss for words for you know how that whole thing went down but um, there's lots of good photos and videos of the madness uh, that ensued as we uh, shared a dance and then I popped the question. And I just want to say thanks to everybody, and I mean everybody, uh, who has reached out to me once they heard the news, um, reached out to Alicia. Um, I know this is a bit personal for the pod, but it was such an Im incredible thing to live. And the response has been so humbling and so uh, overwhelming that I just wanted to take a moment to speak to everybody and just offer a deep bow of gratitude for lifting me up and empowering me to do all the things, um, not the least of which was step into myself and uh, allow myself to fall in love with this amazing woman. So, yeah, that happened. And uh, so did uh, the lettuce horn section, aka the shady horns, my dear friends Ryan Zoidis and Benny Bloom got to sit in with Jamiroquai on two tracks. Well, Zoid on two tracks, Hey Floyd, which will now forever be known as Hey Zoid, and both Zoid and Benny on the filthy, funky Star Child, which is a rarity when it comes to Jamiroquai set lists. Um, these guys only really found out what they were going to do in short order. Um, I know Paul really, really worked his magic to make this happen and I mean if my engagement wasn't enough and then uh, Lettuce sitting in Lettuce members sitting in with Jamiroquai um, Alicia and I were treated to a private audience with Jamiroquai Lettuce and uh, the Space Cowboy himself Mr. JK and you know that was basically life outside of life and I just wanted to, again, offer thanks and and praises for all the folks that make Swanee Halloween 
such an epic endeavor. Never mind the fact that Lettuce absolutely slayed the amphitheater stage as they're wont to do. Um, Troy Boy on the amphitheater stage was beyond description. As was Break Science Live Band with Chris Carnes Friday afternoon at the amphitheater. Can't say enough about the powerful, political, um, just pussy power, pussy pants, and and absolutely riveting display of um, progressive message and dope music and sexiness from Miss Janelle Monet to close the festival. Uh, the Twinsies. MZG, Zach and Charles Weiner, crushed on the Spirit Lake stage, but then uh, shortly after our engagement, when Jamiroquai finished, uh, took to Crispy's fam camp deep in the woods and threw down a four-hour fantastic voyage uh, of all kinds of electronic music styles, from the deepest, dirtiest, and sexiest house to the crunkest bass uh, and all points between but man those twins know how to rock a party I mean I have no doubt that they are superstars in the making Dirty Birds uh, Justin Martin was phenomenal on the Spirit Lake stage as well as Late Night back in the woods at Crispy's Fam Camp which is a really cool uh camp we've been lucky to be a part of or neighbors to for the past couple Halloweens uh, in tandem with my man Lenny and the Florida Bacon crew so shout out to those guys for their amazing hospitality year in and year out and uh, make sure you keep your ears peeled for the Brainquility Festival which is a dope event that'll be in its second year that some of these cats are behind just a quick run through, uh, Chris Carnes DJ set at the Silent Disco was bananas. Homie went uh, grave diggers into ghetto boys mind playing tricks into Dilla E equals MC squared in a span of about seven minutes. It was just basically school in session from the DMC world champion, Mr. Chris Carnes of the Pretty Lights crew. Got a nod to the alien workshop, the shaman himself, Mr. Dave Tipper. Um, we only caught about two-thirds of his set because we had to peel off for Jamiroquai. That's how ill Saturday night schedule was. Um, you know, I had to miss uh, several shows that I would have liked to have seen because of the schedule. Not the least of which was Wolf Peck who saw members of Lettuce like Deitch and the Shady Horns, not to mention the minister of the Swanee River, Roosevelt Collier. Um, but I had to miss that because I went to the Alien Workshop at the amphitheater, and I'm damn glad I did because Dave really brought it. Um, and, uh, of course, my man Vlad the Inhaler, who's absolute living legend of Swanee. And if you don't know, you better ask somebody. My man Vlad... Uh, kick things off at the silent disco on thursday and again it was a clinic um, a few more honorable mentions were uh, ghost light featuring scotty's wang 
uh, was a guest on the show recently. Uh, the Mala Sound Tribe, Art Alana, the Dirty Bird Crew, Manic Focus Live Band, Opio, Two Bob Crew was a great start to Saturday. The Polish Ambassador brought his new live band, The Diplomatic Scandal, which is kind of like a jam band, really interesting cross-section of styles from uh, my man David, the Polish Ambassador. Uh, Marco Benevento uh, brought his trio to Spirit Lake with the, uh, you know, fascinating and uh, I just, I don't even know if I have words for how just wonderful uh, Karina Reichman is on the bass and on the occasional lead vocal. And uh, Marco and her have a kinetic energy. They had a DB uh, on the kit this time, and it was a it was a tight set for Marco. Corey Wong, a little too much talking, but damn, that dude is a funky cat. And his band was pretty tight. Enjoyed their uh, afternoon set. Garage Mahal. Talk about shamans. Uh, Dave Tipper had company in the name of Fareed Hawk, and uh, who's a guitarist that I have a long, deep affinity for for many moons now and seeing him and Kai Eckhart back on that stage doing the Garage Mahal thing uh, was fantastic as was Miss Mavis Staples um, now I missed a few sets like uh, that I heard were absolute you know jams and uh, I mentioned Wolfpack of course and another amazing band uh, basically of the Swanee the Fritz who crushed and it got a monster crowd. Uh, also, Colorado, Young Lions, Sun Squabby. And Closey, uh, the amazing French uh, producer. And just spirit of light. And all the best energy. Miss Closey uh, drew a difficult straw going head-to-head but with Jamiroquai. But all reports say that her set was still very well attended. And... Uh, Jesus Coombs from Lettuce himself reported back that it was Slump City over there and shit got real. So shout out to Closey and her uh, her manager Cole, who is one of the more solid cats in the game. Um, Bustle in your hedgerow, J-Rad. I saw J-Rad, I didn't see Bustle, but both uh, had people really buzzing, as did Turquoise, who similarly to Closey, drew a difficult straw in their head-to-head slot against Ms. Janelle Monet. That said, uh, all reports came back as well that Turquoise really slayed. And uh, my first guest on the show, Mike, Mikey Karuba, uh, in full effect on the drums for the Turquoise. So yeah, that's my quickie run-through Swanee Halloween highlights. Uh, by the time you hear this pod, uh, I should have my uh, annual best of I'm not doing it for Everfest this year, putting it out on Upful Life. Um, I also have an interview coming with the drummer of Jamiroquai, Mr. Derek McKenzie, uh, in a couple of weeks, and some other stuff that I don't want to jinx, so I'm going to just let it hang. Anyway, kind of a long opening segment, I know. I'm still kind of getting ironed out here. My interview today is a little bit shorter than normal. I've come with some really long interviews lately, Um, so I wanted to do a Halloween segment uh, just to kind of get it out while it was fresh and uh, let cats know, you know, how it went down on the Swanee River at Halloween 2018. 
Now, uh, while I was on this sojourn uh, to Halloween and before that New Orleans, I did a few interviews that I'm super stoked on that I'll be rolling out in the weeks to come. The one I'm most excited about is with the one and only Katrina Breeze, uh, parade captain uh, of the Bearded Oysters in New Orleans, uh, as well as a fascinating artist, visual artist and creator. Um, she's also an activist on a variety of uh, missions and I've known her since I first started going to Jazz Fest. She was a partner to a dear friend uh, of mine who kind of showed me the ropes in New Orleans back in the day. And uh, I met her through him and uh, we stayed in touch and her life is uh, not nothing if not colorful. So um, stoked to have dropped in with her. Speaking of uh, colorful lives, another interview that I was blessed and lucky to obtain was one with uh, venerable New Orleans drummer, uh, MC, and just cultural icon, Mr. Derek Smoker, AKA, or known as Derek Smoker, but government named Derek Freeman, a uh, veteran of uh, many, many bands of heavy hitters in the city of New Orleans, not the least of which he studied under Ellis Marsalis. He's played with and studied under uh, Kermit Ruffins. Uh, he's got his own brass band, the Soul Brass Band. He was a founding member of one of the first New Orleans funk bands I ever heard inside of New Orleans called Kronk. And he's also a very outspoken, uh, progressive, kind of political rabble-rouser in his own kind of way. So he was a freaking great interview with some awesome stories that might ruffle a few feathers but you know that's why we do this shit so shout out to my man Derek Smoker appreciate you cousin and uh also was really really stoked to drop in with none other than uh, top flight rock photographer and uh, one of the you know, foremost uh, addiction counselors in the city of New Orleans, uh, Mr. Jeffrey Dupuy, somebody who I first uh, collaborated with back in the jam bass days, you know, 15-ish years ago, and uh, have uh, continued to collaborate with uh, in a variety of capacities ever since. And uh, once I got... Uh, into the Dopey Podcast, which is a uh, podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. Uh, and I became a member of the Dopey Nation. Um, and I kind of dove into that sort of world of recovery and, and podcasts and such uh, in that world. And, it, you know, it's been a learning experience and has definitely influenced my life and my podcasting. And I really wanted to seek out my man Jeffrey, not only to talk about what it's like to be a music photographer in the great city of New Orleans, but also um, to uh, just plug into his life in, in the world of recovery as a professional and also his own personal journey. And what an open book he was, uh, welcomed me into his amazing home in uptown New Orleans. And uh, we had ourselves a powwow of sorts, so... 
deep bow and big love to Katrina Breeze, to Derek Smoker. Next up, we've got the Vibe Junkie Jam of the Week. Now, because my man Troy Boy absolutely murked the amphitheater stage at Swanee Halloween. I mean, I've really never seen the amphitheater quite like that. It was more packed than I... And Ratchet. I mean, it was Ratchet Town, USA in there. But in the best kind of ways. Because Troy Boy really straddles the line of, of that, you know, rough and rugged, sort of uh, aggressive trap style. But he's got this sort of smooth, sexy uh, undercurrent to his tunes as well. And he's a handsome, handsome man with a... You know, physique. So uh, he definitely brings a, a strong feminine energy to uh, his dance floor as well. And uh, he saved this jam, Do You, uh, till uh, second to last, as I recall. And uh, this is this is just the absolute heat rocks um, from Troy Boy called Do You. It's not a new song. It's uh, maybe a year and a half old, but has not lost its edge one bit so the vibe junkie jam of the week coming to you from across the pond the uk my man troy boy do you and then we'll be back with my man's weedy brema
You are listening to a little bit of Weedy Brema and the Essence of Time uh, from the Music Box Village in New Orleans, Louisiana this past May during the Jazz Fest uh, After Dark festivities. And uh, Weedy will be my guest today. Now, a little bit of context here. when I initially called Weedy for this interview, it was for the purpose of my post-Jazz Fest review that I publish annually after uh, the experience concludes. Um, I did it for Jambase for years and most recently for Live for Life Music, and uh, I needed some information from Weedy uh, about this uh, performance that he put on at the incredible Music Box Village um, with his essence of time collaborators. Um, Now, uh, I called Weedy for the interview for the written piece, um, and he just uh, dove so deep with me that I ended up wanting to run a lengthier interview. However, uh, it would have been a very, very long print interview. So now that I've developed the Up for Life podcast, I thought, shit. I'll just run the interview here. Now, the only catch is a few times I sort of break down how I'm going to apply what he just said to uh, my particular style of reviewing. And that's something that if I was a little more adept on the production side of podcasts, I would try to slice it up and edit it out. But my meat-knuckled attempts at that have been fruitless, and uh, this interview uh, must come out. So I am going to just... uh, let it ride as is and you'll hear some of my sort of quirky journalist uh, tendencies at work um, which is kind of embarrassing but at the same time you know who cares this is my process this is how I interview people Um, and Weedy oh man Weedy just he just opened the door to so much and really uh, 
gave us the key to understanding not just his art, but um, the journey of the drum and of the drummer. And um, I was so moved by this musical experience, as you'll hear in our discussion, that um, I obviously, uh, when I went to write the review, uh, I gave him top billing, as they say. Um, it was definitely uh, the finest display that I took in this year at Jazz Fest, and one of the, the best all time in the 16 years I've been lucky and blessed to visit the Crescent City for Jazz Fest. Um, I'll just read what I had said at the time, and then we'll just go right into the interview, which runs about 35 minutes. Weedy Brema and the Essence of Time, Saturday, May 6, 2018, at the Music Box Village. Both on stage and off, Master Jembefola, Weedy Brema is nothing short of a force of nature. Having witnessed his collaborations with iconic jazz fest staples like Trombone Shorty and Orleans Avenue, the Yenth Power, or avant-garde types such as Jonathan Scales Orchestra and Afro Jazz Conjurer Christian Scott, people knew that Weedy's early evening show at the extraordinarily unique Music Box Village would be special, but not even the superhuman buzz that permeated town on the heels of Mike Dillon's uh, punk rock consortium show that same venue one week earlier could prepare us for the majesty that Weedy Brema and the essence of time unveiled in a nearly two-hour story and song. This show was an instant classic, transcending Jazz Fest to immediately land on the short list of most powerful musical experiences this writer has ever been privileged to enjoy. Brema, a New Orleans resident who grew up in East St. Louis, Missouri, and spent his formative years in Ghana, congregated a cross-cultural, intercontinental, and multi-generational collective of virtuosos to deliver a thrilling narrative of the African diaspora, communicated through spiritual music. The audience was transfixed from beginning to end, scattered about the interactive venue, amid the instruments, players, and art installations. We were very much a part of the proceedings, living within the music itself, joining the percussionist, purveyor of light in this most ambitious mission were his Juju Fest brethren, Luke Caranta and Raja Cases and Sam Dickey, along with Ghost Note and a host of other musicians from the globe over. Of local note, Weedy called on the legendary Bill Summers of Herbie's Headhunters and Nola Zone Los Hombres Calientes for his inimitable styles on bata. For many years, Brema has teamed with Amadou Coyete, Around the world, he would join Brema's decorated yet humble assembly for this journey, as well as serve as narrator. This massive group adorned themselves in appropriately luminous tones and coalesced as one living, breathing, invigorating ensemble. As Weedy later explained to me, the idea behind this performance was to do three things, educate, entertain, and spiritually move the crowd. And I go on a little further, but basically I'll let him tell the rest. I just kind of wanted to paint uh, context and a picture for listeners out there to understand uh, what we're talking about here, which was this, not, not just this show, but focused on this show, but also Weedy's uh, just mission uh, with the hands of time and the essence of time and the stories that he's telling and the different uh uh, collectives that he brings to the stage to tell said stories. Um, 
So it's a phone interview. It's not the best quality. I sent it to the homie, Dr. Schaus, to kind of uh, boost it a little bit. So he's a little bit louder than uh, it was on the original copy, but it's not the best quality. Nonetheless, um, I think that the content is uh, worth... I think that the content is worth maybe the the average uh, sound quality. And uh, I hope that um, everybody is a bit patient and just... Because you can hear them fine, and you can hear me fine. But it's not uh, as good as, say, we were in person talking on this here microphone that I'm speaking to you now. Um, anyway, uh, I've talked a lot, just me, in this episode, which is not really anything that I intended on doing. So um, I'm going to queue up the weedy interview, and then uh, we will uh, return to wrap it up. Hello? Hey, Weedy, it's B-Guts. Yo, B, what's up, bro? How are you, man? One day at a time, bro. Yeah, that's the truth. I appreciate you making a few moments to speak with me. Hey, bro, I'm honored that you even wanted to do this, bro. Thank you very much, man. Oh, thank you, man. It's great. It's a, it's a honor to speak with you on the matter, and I know your time is valuable. I just wanted to make sure it's cool that I record us conversating. Right? Of course you can, bro. Ain't no worries. Yeah, I just want to make sure I can get everything right. Um, so it's basically every year I do this little wrap-up of Jazz Fest, right? Where I right. kind of just talk about all the cool stuff I've seen, and uh, and I get into, like, a lot of detail, usually, about who's, who played what, and when, where, all that. But um, I don't want to go too into my thing, but... Man, it's good. That's, um, that's what we're here for, man. We're talking, so it's okay. all good. Um, basically, well, thank you. Um, I, I feel like, you know, it's needless to say, in the past calendar year, our country has really come unraveled, uh, mm. culturally, socially, a lot of anger, racism, violence, guns, you know, I don't All need... the beautiful things that make America amazing, ain't it? Racism, yeah. guns. Yeah, all oh, that. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, uh, and, you know, I just really felt that... Given that that's the sort of cultural climate, um, what what happened with your gig? Well, it was like really all the gigs that you play in the and the Juju Fest and all that. But specifically, I'm going to focus on the gig at the Music Box. That's what I'm calling about because mm-hmm. um, I was really emotionally moved and obviously intrigued and entertained and all the things. So I really want to talk about that show in my cover well, specifically and just hear well, from you start, like conceptually what you were doing with it well that's thank you for saying it and start recording as we speak hit play hit yeah play. well we're good actually it started when i called you that's what i'm talking <laughs> so basically man the idea was for me to do three things number one was more than three but the main the main three was to educate edutain inspire and spiritually move the crowd, okay? So I wanted to educate and entertain at the same time, okay? 
inspire spiritually and emotionally, emotionally. And then from there, try to make an awareness of African music. You know what I'm saying? For me, it's not just about playing folk music. It's about playing a story about being on how African music is in both parts of the world, whether in Africa and the diaspora. We always look at African music as just being in Africa. And that's not the case. African music is right here in America. You know, when you look at listen to gospel music, you listen to jazz, you listen to blues, you hear funk, you're in African music. You know what I'm saying? Yes, sir. That's what made this country. You know, African music are, as I call it, Afro-African music, my new style of music. Because what I'm implementing is the African-American story as well as the African story. Because I have both stories in one person. Being raised and being born in Ghana, raised in America, did something special for me. It didn't hinder me from understanding what this instrument can do in all these different realms and how I can open up a different world for people if their hearts is open. If their hearts is open. Because a lot of times people play this music and I always talk about desegregate the drummer, which means that you have the kit player and then you have the quote-unquote percussionist. But as of now, I'm honored to say this, now we have two drummers in projects. You have the kit player or a djembe solo or a kungaro. We're not, you know, saying which a percussionist is important, but at the same time, we're changing the world of how people look at African music, man. So now we don't have that guy say, hey, man, can you come over there and tap on some stuff, play some percussion, or get some toys and stuff? Because that's a big insult to a person that's been studying their whole life to play an instrument. The vernacular of saying something is very important when we talk about an instrument and when we talk about folklore. So for me... There's a change in the music scene slowly happening. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah, a change. There is. And, you know, not, and, and the, the beautiful part about it is, B, I'm I'm, honestly, before, before that, they had cats, I mean, they have cats in the drum and dance scene and that's been doing this for years before I even came on the scene. You know what I'm saying? They say you can't never reinvent the wheel. You know what I'm saying? So you got people that we have to start paying tribute and homage to that's been playing this music before it even got real. You know what I'm saying? So I have to say those people. You know, we got to give praise to Ola Tunji. You got to give praise to Chief Bay. You got to give praise to Saka Kwe. You got to give praise to um, to International Dance Company. You got to give praise to all these artists uh, that were opening up the door for African music in the modern realm before it was people like myself, People are like, you know, um, uh, 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 um, uh, Taj Mahal, Two Bob Crew, um, um, African Plug, all these people were before us, and they made it. But now what we're we doing now is to keep it, to re make it relevant is another thing, you know. So sure. I'm honored to say that now that people get it, you know what I'm saying, that people get it. They really get it. Or, or they want to get it. Or they want to get it. You know what I'm saying? So the show at the music box was a testament that the door is open to what people love, man. Because, I mean, I had everybody coming to me. I mean, the most amazing musicians that, you know, during Jazz Fest coming to me, telling me, man, this was one of the greatest shows I've witnessed. I had people call me about it that was like, yo, man, I heard your music box show was one of the most unreal shit. So it's a good vibe. It's a good feeling to hear that, man. Um, I bet, man. I mean. It, I appreciate the. What I realized after you started talking is that I'm gonna have to run this as a. I'm gonna put this in my jazz fest thing, but I want to do a separate story on this, on 
specifically what you are working towards with your people, you know, that you make music with from the past, present, future. And I think it deserves its own story. So I'm going to do that story in a month or so. But I'm going to do a short blurb of, you know, like three paragraphs about, you know, what you just told me. And one of the things I noticed is that you've been playing music with some of the cats that you brought in, you know, going back decade plus. You know, decades, all over the bro. world, decades plus. So, and then some of them, you know, like the Ghost Note Cats, you just made a record with this year. Yeah, I made a record exactly. They actually replayed one of the songs on the record at I, the uh, at, at Essence called "Weedy Be Good." Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I said Nate had mentioned that. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, were were you telling the? Because what I got out of it was like exactly similar to what you described, but on a much more surface level of how. You know, the music started and it's traveled the world and mutated and manifested and always been like a soundtrack exactly. to people's lives wherever they're living them. And exactly. uh, when the Ghost Note guys came out and you sort of turned the corner from the Afro-Cuban to sort of that like hip-hop electro vibe, but still keeping those African rhythms, that's when it like I clicked. It was the, what you were telling me, what y'all were saying really hit home. And, uh, so, that's and that's what the wanted. idea. And so the idea basically was, man, through the story, was a, it was that I wanted to take people on a mystical ride through the diaspora, through Africa. You know what I'm saying? Because a lot of times people understand African music, but we really don't know how it even hit the surface. I mean, that's why it was important for me to talk about and important for my, my, my friend, Jelly Amadou Kuyate, to talk about the transatlantic straight play, that Ma'afra. Well, why is that important when playing this music? Who wrote that dialogue? He he did between me and him. It was me and him. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that you know that that helped bring people along. I mean, you mm-hmm. you didn't need it, but it definitely helped. You know, understand. I had basic words, so it's funny. He's a really a, a, he's a true jelly. What does that refer to? Okay. Jelly. Spelled D J E L I. Or historian. He's true in what that is. So, he actually did the job he was coming to do. Yeah, definitely. So, and everybody had a role like that. And you even had roles for, you know, folks like Sam Sam and Raja. You know, like, I thought that was really important that, like, even though you played African music, you put Caucasian folks and Latin American folks up there too because you know I think what they're part is, of the story. Is, they're part of the story because if you think about it, my main goal is to talk about the importance of how the song came to life and how even people study and start branching out and studying this folklore. You know what I'm saying? Because people did study it. You know, shout out to uh, Sam, Raja, and Luke because they've been studying for the past, you know, 18, 15 years, 20 years. Uh, going on 20 years now about this, 18 years about this. You know what I'm saying? Some of these kids that was on stage were born into it as well. I'm mean, who was born into this. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't like he disliked it. He chose it. He was born into it. Munir Zaki was born into this. Timba was born into it. All these cats were born into this stuff. I mean, certain these cats were born into this tradition. Were born into it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like what you saw was a conglomerate of different stories through this folklore. Because you have people who play the folklore and then you have people who live it. That's a difference. 
with a lot of people. A lot of people play an instrument, a lot of people play a drum, but do they actually live it? And that's what it's about. This show was talking about people who live this music, this this music. And when I mean this music, you got people like Bill Summers, who's yeah. not a musician, but who's also a practitioner in what he talks about. You know what I'm saying? And dealing with the traditional, if I tradition. So it's a lot of everything you saw on stage where people who actually believe and work and work towards the development of the tradition that they that they've been growing up and working in for the past decades. You know what I'm saying? I do. I want to. We're at 11 minutes. I want to save this, and then I'm gonna call you back for five more minutes. Are we good with that? I just don't want to lose it. Sometimes if I go over 10 minutes at a time, I lose the recording. No problem, man. We can keep doing as much as you want. Cool. Okay. Cool. I'm going to call you right back. Let me save it. All right, cool. Thanks. All right, man. All right. Hello? Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Anything, Brian. So I was picking up on what you were saying when you are talking about Bill Summers and practitioners of tradition and people who live it. They don't just learn it as a as a hobby or a skill, but it's, you know, a, yeah. life, a life passed down to them. And um, and then there's a certain, like, selflessness to the music, you know, where, like, it's not about soloing. It's like everybody fills a space, and, like, even the space is a space. And I think that there's, like, a magic and, and a selflessness there. And you get a lot of these all-star, all-star groups at a jazz fest or at a festival, and there's egos on stage, and people got something to prove. And the one that's thing I was really amazed by, I was amazed by the fact that you have these world-class players from three and four generations deep, you know, and no egos and no, all selflessness. And it came through in the music. I talked a little bit about how, you know, how you put that together with those personalities and it all coming together. So here's the deep part. Everybody that I call are mavericks in their own right. Everybody. Everybody. And everybody knows. They they understand my vision because their vision is either A, similar, or B, they have an understanding of what music represents. You know? Yeah. So, one, I think of it like this. My voice is to make Jimbe music evolve. Mending Jimbe music evolve. An African drummer to evolve. So when people see, well, why you don't have a drum set on your man stand? It's because number one, with my style of music, I show that we can evolve any and use any style of music with the Doom Orchestra, with that Jimbe Orchestra. But the problem is when you don't have that concept of mentality in your mind, you feel like, oh, you just, you know, this is just another African ensemble. No, we're evolving music. We're showing what folklore can do and how it can go to another level. Now. All those musicians have tried, have not tried, but have done that in their own way. I'm just one of the forefront cats to do that. Then have been able to play with some of these amazing people that's in that jazz fest, in and out of jazz fest. But I feel as if the mentality of what we do is different than the mentality of what people at jam, jazz, at jazz fest does. Jazz yes. fest is a different thing. For us, we're we're talking about not just gigging and partying. There's a spiritual connection to what we do that's important. And that's the thing where a lot of musicians and IE drummers have not learned. 
no disrespect to the drummers, but you learn how to play a riff, you learn how to play a drum, you learn how to take feel, you learn how to play groove, and then you learn how to maybe solo, and then you learn how to play with a band, and then there you go. But what else is right. Have you learned conversation? True conversation. Have you learned the spirit of the room? How to make a room spiritually move? Not how to make a band move, but how to make a room spiritually move. That don't mean just dancing. How to be a conduit of spirit. How then to play to make spirit come. And then, lastly, how to make spirit leave and how to re- replenish the body and give the body what it needs once spirit has left. Those type of things, if you're playing this type of instrument, you did have to know and learn before you even be able to play a drum. So that's the difference for us. It's even the instruments. We're not just playing instruments up there. Yeah, they're like ancient, ancient, like, you know, messages yeah. from a, from the earth and the spirit. You, you're dealing with ancestors. You're dealing with DNA. You're dealing with spirit. And then you're dealing with what spirit does to people. So a lot of times you don't know. When you're playing drums, people don't know that. We're not taught that as a school. That's why I say, when people say you're a percussionist, I'm beyond a percussionist. No, I'm not a percussionist. You have people who do that. But if you look up the, the definition of what a percussionist is, that's not a jimifola. It's not a kungel. It's not a batalero. It's not a bugarabu player. It's not a sabal player. Matter of fact, those instruments are not even in the dictionary. So how can you say or give a European definition to an African instrument that doesn't have the same definition? So what I represent is not what you will read in a book <laughs> in a definition. But I'm gonna write other- I'm gonna write some history about you also. Future generations might know a thing or two. You know. Exactly. Exactly. And not exactly. just me. I hope that a lot of people do. I'm sure that they will. They and just need to be exposed just, to it. And that's where we at, B. That's where we at, bro. And that's really all when it all clicked things. for me with you, man. It was like, you know, I've been around for a while, and you've played with so many of my favorite artists through the years, you know, um, that are in contemporary music, you know. like, mm-hmm. And it always had a spiritual essence to it, even if it was jamming, you know, and right. power, trombo shorty, and power. And everyone would always say to me, man, like, what Weedy brings to the table transcends jamming, and it's bigger than that. But it was your connection to those artists that got my attention, that got me to the music box. You know what and I mean? That's exactly, but, and that, right, what you just said is the, the clicky of what this instrument is starting to do. They don't want me to come and play shakers and bells and no things. No disrespect to anybody. That's not a bad thing because it's all necessary music. I'm asked to play what I'm, I'm, I, what I have. Jimifola. That's what they asked me to do. Bring that world. And why now? Because it's an instrument that's been around for a long time, and there's a billion amazing jimifolas. But no different than any instrument. Just because you can play it, you have to know how to have complete harmony with the other instrument. That's like having a cat that played bagpipes. Just because it's a magic, it's an amazing instrument. You did don't know how to implement it unless that person who plays that bagpipe understands the following different styles of music. Right. It's the same mentality. You have to then know. Just because you play African music doesn't mean that you understand the African music that has left. I jazz, blues, and funk. You didn't have to read 
we go back and understand the Afro-African music and lineage and DNA that was left to go back. That's how you do it. Yeah, but I mean, you even did that right here in the States by putting Bill Summers on the stage with Sput and Nate and then having them play that sort of like funky fusion jazz, but you never really left Africa with it. And it glued the whole thing together from West Africa to Afro-Cuban to Herbie Hancock all the way up to the present. And that was why I walked out of there with my heart in my hands. I couldn't stop crying on Luke's shoulder. It was so powerful, man. It made me, like, re-examine why I do this. You know, like, what is my purpose to be, to, like, take what I experienced. And, you know, well, the best way I could put it in words was, like, it was a portrait of a post-racial planet where we were just, and, and the we sound, it was just amazing in that regard. And, like, we, people need that kind of hope. They need a vision, a tangible thing they can touch, they can hear, they can say, it could be like this. It's not just at the music box. It's kind of like everything we do in New Orleans together. Exactly. But, it, but in its like pure essence on display at the music box. Exactly. Because who's it says, next year I can do that same show somewhere else, at a joy theater, but an actual show. You see what I'm saying? Sure. But an actual show. The same thing. Not a show that's like a bunch of cats come on stage. We, 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 you know, we do this, blah, 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 then we're out. No, an actual show. The problem is we find out there's so much of jamming there. There's no stories being told through music. Jam- that's, that's the, the short music. attention span of people. You know what I mean? Like this sort, and again, it brings it back to the organic nature of the drum that you play and the instruments that were on stage. Everything is so technologically advanced. Everything is so easy, so quick. It's like microwave everything. And I think people are are going back in the other direction now. They want something organic and real and tangible and, like, of the earth. And you provide that in a fashion that's, you know, not just on the surface. It's not on the nose. You really have to listen. You have to be there from the beginning to end to get it. But the payoff is worth it. But you need that attention. And that's what I'm going to try to do is bring call people to attention and say, you got to listen to this. you got to live this. And then you got to. We are there now, bro. We are there now. The beautiful thing about this is that we're at the place where now people are ready to get uh, ready to respond to this folklore. Indeed, man, they absolutely are. And you, you know, it's a it's it's honor to be able to speak with you directly about it. And I want to be able to convey this in a respectful and appropriate fashion. You know, there's all kinds of stuff that comes with it. For me, it being like a white dude that grew up in the suburbs and parents paid for me to go to college. And, like, I rejected all that. And I said, no, I want culture. I want life. I want, like, people. And uh, and now, like, to talk, to tell a story about something that's so authentically African or Afro-African, as you said earlier, you know, there's a certain bit of, like, I got to approach it with reverence and respect. It's not my own, but it should be eventually all of ours. And I think that's the goal. For you is for it to resonate with all the peoples, not just people of color, but all peoples. Oh, exactly. And exactly. so it, it's an ambitious thing for me, but at the same time, I felt called to do it. I felt like there was a reason. Just to give you some sidebar, I wasn't even going to be able to make the show. One of my best friends from my childhood had planned to come to Jazz Fest, and she asked me to have dinner with my lady and her husband, and I agreed, and it was during the time of your show. And for reasons I still don't know, she couldn't make the trip. And that's how I ended up there. And I felt like it was cosmic in that regard. 
because I had made these plans a long time ago and was looking forward to them. And I was somewhat bummed that I couldn't see my friend of 35 years. Um, but the, the silver lining was I got to go to your gig and, and I'm so inspired and, and empowered by it. And I just wanted you to hear that from my, I know I've been posting stuff and saying stuff. I'm going to write this article, but I wanted you to hear it from my voice, you know. Man, that means a lot to me, bro, because I've really worked hard. I've worked hard for this show, man. Not just to put on a show to say, okay, we about to do some other shit, you know what I'm saying. No, there are no shows that are represent telling this story. We played, bro, I played with one of the cats, and I play with Trombone Shorty sometimes, right? Yeah, I've seen that. like this. And Trombone Show is an uh, entertaining, amazing, entertaining musical show. Amazing. Yeah, fantastic. But I, I, one thing I, res- I respect about him is that he's detailed to bringing together a story. And not even necessarily a story, putting together a show. Because people put on shows and don't have a story. It's just an entertaining show with lights and different stuff and different guests. But for me, I grew up in theater. And how did I grow up in theater? Working with the National Ballet of Mali, uh, the National Ballet of Guinea, National Ballet of Mali, Ballet National de Senegal. Working with the national dance companies. Working with dance companies. There were world-renowned dance companies in the United States and in Africa. So that mentality, I, I, I still, I live with. You know, I live with that yeah. mentality. So to bring that to stage and bring that to this world is something different than just doing a show. Because people need to see the instrument and what that story of the instrument is uh, that I'm going to bring to life. Like next year, the next show is going to be more crazier. I bet. I mean, I've seen it. Oh, you you know, not necessarily your show, but I've seen what you did at Juju Fest the last couple of years. And I saw you at Brooklyn Comes Alive with the thing you did with Luke. So just for my own journey with it has been, uh, you know, slow and steady education. Like you said, educate and entertain, you know. Edutain, um, as you say, yeah, right. So we're at 12 minutes again, man. So I got to click you, save you, and then we're going to wrap it up. I promise. Call me back. Wait. I got you. All right, bro. Thanks. And there you have it. My man, Mr. Weedy Brema, coming to you live and direct from New Orleans, Louisiana, back in early part of the summer that was a fascinating conversation that uh, you got just about all of uh, there was the very end of it was lopped off uh, just because we basically covered all the bases uh, for the purpose of this podcast in those two calls um, I appreciate everyone bearing with me it was not the ideal interview uh for a podcast format, it wasn't intended for that, but it was just too good, and I wanted to use it before uh, it got any further in the rearview mirror. I also wanted to use it because, uh, conveniently, percussionist Weedy Brema will bring his Weedy Brema and the Hands of Time ensemble on the road in December for a series of dates. Um, he's confirmed seven shows for the band. There's two more to be announced. Uh, they include... Uh, Snug Harbor in New Orleans and the Gray Eagle in Asheville, North uh, North Carolina Gallery 992 in the ATL Uh, also the Charleston Poorhouse in Charleston, South Carolina Uh, they're hitting Durham, Roanoke, Virginia uh, Harlem Stage in New York 
and uh, a couple more to be announced apparently. Um, yeah, so there you have it. Uh, Weedy is bringing out the crew like Raja Kasis from Antibalas, Luke Caranta, my man from Two Bob Crew. You know, those are his Juju Fest cohorts. Um, in New York, they'll have Pedrito Martinez, Christian Scott, and others. Um, I know Sam Dickey from Benyoro's involved, another one of his uh, NOLA co-conspirators so yeah Weedy's got it going on and uh, really stoked for this hands of time ensemble hitting the road in December hopefully they'll make it out to the west coast in short order because uh, the people need that it's obviously not the sprawling uh, global uh, collective that is the essence of time who performed in New Orleans and who we spoke uh, at length about in the interview but uh, previous to that was the Hands of Time, which is a more tight-knit and localized version of the same concept. And uh, I have no doubt it will be a thrilling expedition. So, yeah. To wrap up the uh, Up Full Life podcast, episode four, uh, I want to say thanks to Weedy Brema. And uh, looking forward to the next episode, most likely Katrina Breeze, uh, keeping it in New Orleans. And... Uh, also want to just uh, once again thank Paul and Berg and the, all the good folks at Swanee Halloween for one of the most magical and uh, fulfilling weekends of my life, festivals or not. It was just a dream come true and a big part of that beyond the engagement and, and meeting the band was obviously Lettuce sitting in with Jamiroquai. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's why I hit you guys with the Vibe Junkie Jam of the Week from Troy Boy because my man absolutely slayed the amphitheater stage. And I'm going to send you off with a two-shot of Jamiroquai with the Shady Horns. Uh, the first song features just Ryan Zoidis, who I believe JK uh, called Brian Zoidis, um, but nonetheless welcomed Zoid to the stage to rage uh, Hey Floyd now known as Hey Zoid and then later in the set I invited both Benny Bloom and Zoid out for Star Child so I'm going to play both those tracks in their entirety and let them ride out and that'll be the conclusion of Up Full Life Podcast Episode 4 uh, Yes Indeedy I'm your host B. Getz coming to you live from Oakland, California and this is Jamiroquai featuring the Shady Horns and we'll see you next time.